1: A fantasy question email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com get ready to win your league
2: fantasy becomes reality. now
1: here's adam scott Keith, and chris and a very happy friday everybody welcome back to the show it's fantasy baseball today it's adam scott and chris as we are getting closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting to the start of our position previews. Today, we're going to read your emails at at cbsi.com and review some average draft position. We call it ADP in the biz. That's right. Good morning, Scott White. ADP. It's, it's one of those
3: things that you just drop in casual conversations and mention out of nowhere in articles. And I, I do kind of wonder if the average person is, is totally tuned into that yet. Yeah, what exactly we mean when we just drop that acronym, ADP. Yeah. It's one of those things that I struggle. Do I explain it every time, or do I just trust that everybody
2: knows it by now? Chris, you down with ADP? You know, if um, if we're talking about underdrafted and overdrafted players, are players whose ADP is correct, shouldn't it be extraordinary draft position or, like, exceptional draft position?
1: What?
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: average draft position. It means where are these guys being drafted on average based on data from multiple websites and all the mock drafts and the drafts that have been done and whatnot, where are they going? The data is obviously very incomplete as the drafts continue to go on. We'll, uh, we'll have better data, but this is pretty close. Uh, so it's pretty good stuff. Um, so I, I asked Scott and Chris to come up with two, uh, two underdrafted players that are going too late and two overdrafted players that are going too early. We'll talk about that First, Mookie Betts. The deal is currently on hold. Not going to really get into it, but some medical stuff with Bruce Stargrader, all the the pitching prospect going from the Twins to the Red Sox. And we'll see what happens. But right now, the deal is is incomplete. And so is the Jock Peterson stripling deal, right? Everything's incomplete at the moment?
3: Well, it seems contingent, at least from the Dodgers perspective. I don't. I don't think they're uh, they're willing to move on that until they're sure they have this Mookie Betts deal locked up. So I, I don't know I, I don't know if if there is a chance that happens independently of it. And and it sounds like the Mookie Betts deal is still probably going to happen, though some doubts have been raised by John Heyman just in the last twelve hours. Uh, so I I don't know. We we had a <laughs> we had already done an AL only head to head points mock on Tuesday. Immediately before this trade was reported, so we were like, Okay, we clearly have to redo that. And we had that scheduled for this afternoon, but we're, we're gonna put it on hold because uh, there's it's just way too up in the air right now.
2: You know, my thing is uh, Brewster, Brewster, Gator, Greater Roll, Gatorade, Gatorade, uh, yeah, that's roll. <laughs> uh, one, I'm the only hispanic person on this podcast and i am maybe the worst at pronouncing hispanic names maybe which is really sad definitely um, it, it doesn't it's right. not a good look for your guy chris
3: well i i, I don't I'll, i never know how far to go with that because you don't want to pull like a peggy hill and like just come across <laughs> as like, way too over the top with the uh you know the the way you the accent and everything but At the same time, you want to be accurate.
2: In my defense, I'm bad at pronouncing pretty much everybody's name. Oh, yeah. Uh, So it's not specifically about the players. But my other thing is, this is a guy who's 21 years old. He's pitched five professional seasons. He's thrown more than 71 innings once. He's had Tommy John surgery. He had a shoulder injury last year. What could have come up in the medicals that wasn't (laughs) completely apparent? In his profile, like, in just who he was. Okay.
1: Red Sox think they were drafted. Chris, let me, let me, trading for, yeah. So, let me just, let's move on from that, uh, because we have more important stuff to talk about. We have a big show, a lot of stuff today, including Scott versus ADP, average draft position. Looking at some players that Scott has either higher or lower than where they're being drafted. And some news and notes, hey, it didn't take long. James Paxton's already hurt. So... <sighs> Yeah, I know. Underdrafted players. Who are going too late? Who is being drafted later than they should be? Scott, your first player, Josh Bell. He's going 88th overall. He was one of the top hitters in baseball uh, before the All Star break. Then, of course, he did the home run derby, and he was terrible after that. Batted 233 in the second half with 10 home runs in 55 games. Josh Bell going 88th overall, Scott.
3: Yeah, I think people have, are going too far in uh, downgrading him for his second half slump, which, by the way, he started to pull out of toward the end of the season. Uh, and so when you consider, when you weigh his full season production, uh, it, it's far better than Jose Abreu, who's going ahead of him, Max Muncy, who's going ahead of them, um, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, certainly. I, he, he outperformed those guys considerably. So it's clearly just them looking at the second half, and saying, okay, we can't take those full season numbers seriously because clearly his first half was
2: overblown. But it's not just that. Well, what else is it? Like, he's only had the one great season. We can't just say... One great half season. Kind of. Yeah. But even if you take the full season at face value, it's the only one he's ever had at that level. It was a... Okay, I, I mean, we're saying the
3: same thing, basically. People right. aren't convinced he's as good as he was last year. And, and, uh, and the second half, like, if he didn't have that downtrend in the second half, I don't think he would be going
2: this late, right? Oh, no. And I, I think the best comp is probably Matt Olson, who kind of had a similar breakthrough last year. He was a, you know, had a really great 2017 in 59 games, hit those 24 home runs. He was a big-time disappointment in 2018, and nobody was really all that excited to draft him last year. He has a very similar year to Josh Bell uh, in 2019, and he's going 20 to 30 picks ahead of him on average.
1: So, so I, yeah, well, I'm not quite sure what side Chris is on. So, Chris, are you saying you also yeah. agree that Bell is going too late?
2: I'm on both sides at all time. I'm <laughs> Manhattan, you know. Uh,
3: Somebody did some work on this. I, I wish I could find the tweet, but. It, it seemed to correspond with the things Josh Bell was saying. And that in the second, he got away from his approach in the first half and started trying to do better on breaking balls. Like he started attacking breaking balls in a way he wasn't before. And it was just a terrible idea. And
2: yeah, there was the thing Adam talked that brought up in the podcast back in December, I think. And and yeah. that was one thing that really opened my eyes was um how much he struggles against lefties. And, how many more lefties he faced in the second half. I I I gotta find the numbers exactly. I wrote about it in my case for and case against peace. And um you know it was it was pretty pretty eye opening that it might not have just been bad luck.
1: I'll send it to you right now so you can it you it can, wasn't uh, just bad luck.
3: I'm not arguing it was just bad luck.
1: All right guys. So so Scott, you're saying he should go <laughs> he should go when Josh Bell uh, he is my number. Uh, shoot,
3: where is he? I I think I'm... he should go earlier that. He should probably go about twenty picks earlier than that. He's I have him ahead of those first basemen I mentioned: Abreu, Muncy, Olsen, Goldschmidt. I may have Lemayhu ahead of Bell. That may have been a recent change I made just because Lemayhu. I mean, he has that multi eligibility, and because I know I can wait longer to get Bell. So like, don't don't. Con- don't you don't let your rankings talk into some somebody into reaching for him kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there's a point where, uh, I, I mean, the the potential is just so much higher than a lot of those first basemen he's going behind.
1: All right, fifth or sixth round for Josh Bell. That's what we're saying here. Chris, first player you wanted to talk about as being underdrafted is Corey Seeger, 136th overall. In 2016, he was a top-five shortstop. In 2017, he was sixth in points, ninth in Roto. And uh, something of an afterthought, I guess. So that's uh, round 12 for Corey Seager in a 12-team league. And if you're playing in a one-shortstop league, Corey Seager could be one of the last shortstop off the board. And you like the value.
2: I love the value. Especially, it's tough because his better format is that points format, at least for now in his career. Uh, because he's not a big home run guy. He's not a big stolen base guy. Uh, so you're counting on RBI runs and, and average from him to be really good. And I think they will be. And he's probably in, in a roto league, more like a fringy shortstop slash middle infielder. But, you know, I could have also argued that Carlos Correa is being underdrafted. He's 80th. You know, I like him. I've talked about him a lot on this podcast. But, you know, if you compare both of them, From 2015 to 2017, because Corey Seager, his 2018 was completely lost. His 2019 was a down year. I think a lot of that was because he was coming back from hip and shoulder and elbow injuries. Corey Seager was, if you take out stolen bases, he was better pretty much across the board. Correa hit for more power. But other than that, you know, it's very comparable. It's not like Carlos Correa is a more sure thing. It's not like he's going to steal bases this year. So... You know, you've got Corey Seager going 48 spots behind him in ADP. I like Carlos Correa a lot, but I love Corey Seager at that value. I love Corey Seager, too, and I'm confident
3: in a bounce back. He was he has such a stable skill set. And he his first two years, he was, you know, clearly a must start player Then the Tommy John surgery. And I'm just going to give him a pass coming back from that injury, especially since the plate discipline looked great. Um, and I believe he finished strong, right?
1: He was. Well, no, he, he started really slowly and then he got super hot. And then Corey Seager went on the IL. When he came back from the IL, last 68 games, he was okay. He batted 266. He had an 806 OPS, but nothing special there.
3: Uh, he had seven home numbers. runs in September 291 with seven home runs in September. He finished strong.
2: The one, the one that I've always come back to is he was terrible in April, uh, sub 700 OPS. Again, coming back from hilbo, hip, elbow, hip, and Tommy John surgery, uh, that feels like a pretty good excuse. But you know, his from basically from May first on, your, his 155 game pace is 282 average, 28 homers, 226 combined RBI and runs, and two stolen bases. That's nothing, but. Yeah. like he could legitimately be a four category contributor and a three category stuff.
3: Yeah, uh, he was he, his heading into the sophomore season, he was a first round pick in fantasy. I mean, it, this there is a ceiling here that uh, I think maybe a lot of people aren't accounting for and the floor is very high too. And I would be thrilled to take him as my starting shortstop. I just have trouble waiting that long cuz there's so yeah. many good shortstops that I end up filling the spot sooner. And part of me is like, well, just don't do that. Just wait for Corey Seager. But I'm afraid if I consciously wait for Corey Seager, then that'll be the time somebody grabs him before I can.
1: <laughs> it's a good strategy, though. Uh, so, yeah, Seager. And then like after Seager in the rankings is Polanco, Tim Anderson, Didi Gregorius, Ahmed Rosario. So I, I think if you have that strategy, I'm just going to wait. Don't wait. I don't know. Scott, don't, I would say don't wait any longer than Seager. I can make a case for Didi. I mean, it's really the same exact case. He came back from Tommy John and had a terrible year, but the three yeah. years before that, he was pretty good. But can he
2: have I, I, power away from Yankee Stadium? In Philadelphia, yeah.
1: I think he can. And I remember one of those three the years... The ceiling was, isn't as high no, for D.D. No, it's not. Uh, but yeah, I would say Seager is probably the last one you'd want to have that strategy for. You
3: know? Yeah, he is the last one, and I, I guess Jorge Polanco is the ultimate fallback for me, who I, I don't think could... I don't think he's going to be I, I don't think the ceiling compares to Seeger's either. But it's it's certainly starting caliber. Uh, the production he gave last year and the production, I think he's going to provide again this year. But, yeah, Seeger in, in an auction, maybe that would be the time to say, OK, this is my shortstop. And, yeah. uh, you know, hope hope he gets nominated before all the fallback options are gone. And, and then you can hopefully get him for cheap.
1: What do you think he is like a four or five dollar player? Oh, yeah, $5 right there on your rankings page. There you go. Okay. Next player on the underdrafted list, go back to Scott, Nelson Cruz, 99th overall. Jordan Alvarez is going 46th overall. So, about, a ha- about the halfway point of Nelson Cruz, you'll get Jordan Alvarez. And, um, yeah, Cruz played 120 games last year, 144 the year before, but still, he can hit.
3: Yeah, the Production has been so consistent. Basically, ever since he left Texas, he, is, he has been an elite hitter who has never been drafted as such. And it seems like he drops a little more every year. Understandably, he's 39 this year. And at some point, you, you're just going to stop. Your body's just not going to be able to do that anymore. But where he's going, 99th overall, it it's it more than accounts for that risk. It goes too far. In, uh, in 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 uh, you know guarding against that, it obviously the DH only thing is tough. I said on last podcast I'm going to have a lot of shares in Jordan Al- uh, in Jordan Alvarez. So you know in the leagues where I end up drafting him, I'm just not going to have a chance at Cruz. But if you do have that spot available, particularly if you're going pitching heavy at a beginning, Cruz is a great choice for making up whatever you may have sacrificed at your hitter spots.
1: Okay, and we also mentioned this, I think, last week. He, unfor- he is not going to gain outfield eligibility, whereas Alvarez will at some point. Cruz is going to be a DH all year. I yeah. uh, don't know when
3: Alvarez is going to get it, though. So
1: Yeah, I keep speculating sometime around the All-Star break. Brendan McKay, 227th overall. He had a 514 ERA and a 1-4 whip in mm-hmm. 49 innings, but a great walk-to-strikeout ratio. Gave him a lot of hits, though. But Brendan McKay, Chris, 227th overall.
2: I think there's a very good comp for Brendan McKay, and it's a guy who's being drafted in like the 50 range right now, and that's Aaron Nola. They were both drafted as relatively projectable college arms. uh, We're supposed to be kind of the safe prospect, maybe not as much upside as some of the other guys. They both came up in the majors early on, got more strikeouts than we really expected to, but also got hit around pretty hard. Obviously, Aaron Nola started to figure that out once, you know, he had a little bit of a velocity jump and became, you know, a, a much better pitcher overall. Well, Brennan McKay's already got better velocity than Aaron Nola. It's about average for the league, but for a lefty, it's actually pretty much above average. Um, you know, the secondary stuff. It didn't look as good as expected last year, but he was super Super inexperienced when you look at his overall minor league track record. He hasn't logged a lot of innings. There's still room for growth. And when you look at the way starting pitcher and especially young and promising starting pitchers tend to get inflated, like I'm looking at it and Dustin May is going ahead of him. I'm not sure Dustin May has a rotation spot. Brendan McKay does. And so nope. Well, does he? Because I'm looking at the the rays.
3: Rotation options here: Charlie Morton, obviously. Blake Snell, obviously. Tyler Glass now, obviously. Yanni Chirinos, Ryan Yarbrough. They both probably deserve spots over McKay, right?
2: Maybe. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> okay. That's a good look. That that's it, it, he's not guaranteed a rotation spot. He's not guaranteed to be good. <laughs> we take chances on we take chances on guys with that same profile. You know, earlier than we're doing with Brendan McKay, it's it's a situation I think where he wasn't good in his first taste of the majors, and that's a good spot for fantasy value to come from because he's not, he hasn't lost the talent that made him right. one of the best prospects in baseball.
1: Right. I I completely agree. I don't think you shouldn't judge Brendan McKay too harshly on 49 innings in his debut season. I think is no. basically what you're saying, right? He
3: has he hasn't really lost any prospect stock either. If you look at prospect rankings uh, all over the internet, uh, yeah, nobody nobody's obviously fantasy players might be judging him harshly, but prospect evaluators aren't. By the way, the Rays are going to be freaking good this year, right? I mean, they always, always are or less
2: too, but dang, mm. yeah, that's well, gonna be good a, they're going to be a nightmare for fantasy. Maybe For reasons we just highlighted. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think among hitters even more so than among yeah.
2: pitchers. We don't know who's going to play on any given day. They've got like 20... I don't know how they fit 46 players on their 26-man roster, but it Austin, seems like they're going to do it. Austin Meadows
3: is the only one that I would feel confident is going to get every day of bats in their lineup. I mean, I guess maybe Willie Adamas too, but you know, obviously he's not that big of a deal for fantasy purposes.
1: But is Adalberto Mondesi a big deal for fantasy purposes? Let's go to our overdrafted list. Mondesi is going 41st overall. He stole 43 bases in 102 games. He was off to a really good start. First two months, he had a 288 batting average, six home runs, 13 doubles, seven triples. That's an 812 OPS with a ton of steals, 20 steals in two months. So um, he was basically one of the most valuable players in fantasy. All fell apart for him after that, though. And he gets hurt all the time. Scott, I'm surprised he's on your overdrafted list given your, uh, your panic about steals. Mondesi, 42nd overall, 41st overall.
3: I'm really trying to adjust my perception of these high steals guys who seem like they have very risky profiles because, yes, uh, there is a panic for steals early in drafts, and it it is understandable, and it is something that you have to submit to to some degree unless you're just going to build such a world-beating pitching staff that you can afford to punt on steals, which is it's probably more difficult to do than just taking a couple steals guys. So, yeah, I referred to it as stolen base derangement syndrome, Syndrome. how early these guys are going. I've referred to them it that way before, and I've tr- you know, kind of dialed back a little, but 38th overall for a guy who... That's probably all he's going to give you is stolen bases, he showed some signs of breaking through as a hitter two years ago, but that all regressed pretty massively last year. And I don't really count on him for batting average or power. Certainly not an on base guy. You just trust him to run a lot. The few times he does get on base. I'm sorry. You're passing up too many good players by taking him 38th overall. Just here's, here's, Here are some of the names going right after him: Javier Baez, Aaron Nola, Charlie Blackman, Jordan Alvarez, Patrick Corbin, Luis Castillo. I mean, we've already talked about how important it is to get an ace, and he's right there in the thick.
1: So, so if you, so Scott, if you don't take Mondesi there, and now your first four picks are low steals guys or pitchers or whatever, what do you do? Who do you fall back on?
3: Uh, Jonathan VR, who is on my bust list because I do think there's some bottom-out potential there, but he's going 14 picks later, and even if he does become less than a full-time player, even if he doesn't end up making a big contribution in, or a significant contribution in power again, uh, he's going to run. He's going to play enough to factor in that category, and he has a better
2: chance of helping in multiple categories than Mondesi does. I think they're probably close to the same guy. The biggest thing, I I don't know if you mentioned this, but I think the biggest knock against modesty, he cannot stay healthy. I mentioned
1: it, but yeah, in the,
2: in the minors, he has never been able to stay healthy. And I think he's coming off a torn labrum, which is a really tough injury to come back from there. You know, I, I you probably undersold his power a little bit. I I would expect in 150 games, probably 15 to 20 homers. I think he'd be very similar to Jonathan VR in that, in that sense. But much, much lower on base percentage, probably a lower batting average, um, I think he'll steal more bases. That's that's what Mondesi has going for him. That's where the helium comes from is he stole 43 bases in 109 games. If you, average, if you extrapolate that out to 150 games, it's 60 steals. No, but I think he still led the American League in stolen bases last year, and he played 109 games. That's where it comes from. But as we've learned with Trey Turner, you can't just take what someone did in 100 games and say, well, that's the pace they're going to do it for in 150. Remember when we were talking about Trey Turner as a potential 60, 70 steal guy? Mm-hmm. Never happened.
1: Yeah. And now he's Modessi more like in the 40s. Yep.
2: Did not lead the AL in steals. I don't know who did, but
3: 43 in 102 games. Yeah. That's obviously a lot. But like, I, whatever he gives you in terms of power is not going to be enough on its own. To justify passing up that many players? Why do you, like, Scott, if you why really do you... just want an extreme steals guy? Take Malik Smith, you know, 120 That's... picks later, and I'm not that yeah. into taking Malik Smith 120 picks later, but I, I'm more into it than this.
1: That, Malik Smith, by the way, is who led the AL in steals. He led baseball in steals with 46, and Montesie had 43. Um why so wait why do you think the first 2 months of the season were just cuz he was maybe your favorite player last year you were all about Mondesi and he gets off to this great great start um why do you think that he is not a good hitter basically
3: because all the skill indicators show it um i'd have to review the numbers again this is <laughs> This is part of what happens when you do a lot of research in October is you forget why you came to the conclusions you came to. But, yeah, the strikeout rate was horrible. Uh, Yeah, he stopped hitting line drives at the same rate, stopped hitting fly balls at the same rate, hit a lot more ground balls. Um, You look at the XBA, I assume it's pretty dang low. I'd have to pull that up again. Mm
2: -hmm. But,
3: yeah, it's 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 not it doesn't look but, like the but skills those, are there for him to be a good player with the bat and those it it, full it, season. it was trending it was trending up 2 years ago
1: yeah but those are full season like he was good before he got hurt so i'm just wondering if maybe he did have good indicators and then he got hurt multiple times and he stunk rest of season i i don't know i i guess i'm more willing to take a gamble on mondesi than you are but 41st overall 38th overall and the guys that you that you are like there's no way Not i'm taking it. Charlie, I'm right. taking him over Charlie Blackman. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. All
0: right, let's do if, one if more. Was yeah, go ahead. 68th
3: overall instead of 38th? Maybe we could talk about it. But yeah, that's that's there's too many studs at that point in the draft still. All
1: right, Chris, let's get uh, one more here. Your choice, Pete Alonso or Vlad Guerrero.
2: Let's go with Pete Alonso. You know, I, I think we have a tendency, even as we've gotten much smarter about how we... Uh, analyze baseball, and I'm using the Royal we, the Wii as the baseball community. When a player comes up and has a rookie season, we're like, well, it's only going to get better from here, or at least he won't get worse. Why would he regress? He was so good. And you look at all the underlying metrics and all that. You know, we did this with Aaron Judge uh, three years ago. He hit 52 home runs. Pete Alonso broke his rookie record. We all know that. Aaron Judge has had troubles, trouble staying healthy, and that's why he's been a disappointment the last couple of years for fantasy. But... His 162 game pace over the last 2 years is also only 41 home runs.
1: I think this is a really bad example because if 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 Pete Alonso regresses to Aaron Judge levels, you're going to be perfectly fine taking him in the 3rd round which I is where I think going. you
2: are because he doesn't have as robust a skill set as Aaron Judge. Like Aaron Judge has that really really high batting average because he hits the ball so hard. Pete no, Alonso no. hits for really good power. He, he doesn't hit the ball as well as Aaron Judge does.
1: But I don't think he has a real... Aaron Judge does not have a really high batting average. He has a really high OBP. He's got better batting average than Alonso. But like, mean, it, if, Alonzo, if Alonzo hits 260 with, 40, with 42 home runs mm-hmm. at, instead of 53 home runs...
2: Uh, and That's going to be fine where you're drafting him. It's going to be great. With all the runs and RBIs that come with it. You I mean, think it's going to be fine, but in this context... What if he hits two forty?
1: Well, okay, but it, okay, but if he hits two sixty with forty two home runs, and gets you two hundred runs plus RBIs, is that a third round player to you?
2: Yeah, but I don't know if that's that much better than what you'll get from Max Muncie
1: mm-hmm. or Matt Olson.
2: I don't know if yeah, Matt Olson, Josh Bell, you know, there, there's a lot of guys right now who can hit for a lot of power and not help you in batting average. And so there's a decent chance he's a three-category guy next year. And those categories are the easiest to find. You know, batting average and stolen bases are the ones that are, are really at a premium now. And I just, I think there's a decent floor. And obviously the ceiling appears to be really high. But drafting him in the third round, that's just that feels like drafting him 31st overall is drafting him at a ceiling.
1: All right. So Le- Pete Alonso batted 290 in the minors mm-hmm. and he hits the ball hard. Not like Aaron Judge, but, you know, solid hard contact rate. He had a 280 Babbitt in the minors. His Babbitt was really high till. Yeah, that's, that's common. Yeah. So just do you think he can be a better batting average hitter? Like, and if so, how much better? He had 260 in, as a rookie.
3: Well, if if I could speak up here, I, I'm not as concerned about the floor as as Chris is, because for a guy who 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 has this kind of home run potential, Alonzo do, really doesn't strike out that much. No, he doesn't impact the ball as hard as the the outlier class of like Aaron Judge and Miguel Sano, and maybe you put Joey Gallo in there. He doesn't. And that would make me concerned that he's going to have this outlier home run rate again I think more likely he regresses to 40 something probably low 40s so uh, you know if if you're drafting him according to his best case scenario which is probably what we saw last year that's a bad idea but I think his most likely scenario is still elite but like Chris is saying is it worth the upcharge we're seeing here versus where you could get like a Max Muncie or even like Josh Bell, who we talked about earlier. Yeah, and I'm not sure it is.
1: Right. Okay. Good stuff. Overdrafted and underdrafted, according to ADP, average draft position. Here are some news and notes. James Paxton is out three to four months after back surgery. You could be looking at Jordan Montgomery, maybe Luis Sessa, replacing him in the rotation. Remember, Domingo Roman is suspended for... Do you guys remember off 50, 60 games, something like that? Uh, and...
2: 60 something I think cuz he served part of the suspension last year.
1: Okay, right, it was an 80 game suspension total and so Yeah. Sounds right. So, yeah, so that's two members of the rotation for the Yankees that are out. First question, when when do you draft James Paxton right now? I dropped him quite a bit because
3: 2 to 3 month timetable is not very specific and it sounds like you know, having something removed from your back, I'm, I'm not even sure how the rehabilitation is going to go from that. It, it, it may not be so straightforward. Obviously, pitchers of Paxton's caliber are the major resource in fantasy right now. So they're, you know, they're, you could look at this as an opportunity to get that, get a guy like that at a discount and, and have this huge benefit later on. But, you're just not really sure what you're getting so I dropped him to 58th in my starting pitcher rankings, which is behind guys like Tanaka and Mike Fultonevich and Cole Hamels uh, I could be talked out of it I suppose, but I'm'm I'm, I'm very worried about this
2: Well and especially if, to take into account like just because he comes back in let's say early May, which would be the best case scenario at this point. It's not like you can just pencil in okay, I'm gonna get five months out of, out of James Paxton. James Paxton typically doesn't stay healthy now there there's been some bad luck I think a couple of years ago he got hit by a line drive on his arm uh, so it's it's not all as bad as it looks but it's the the track record there is pretty scary as far as the injury. If he comes back in June, then you're looking at he's got four months max. I don't know how much four months of, of James Paxton is worth.
1: Uh, I mean, it could be worth a lot. Obviously, you get to stash him in a DL spot or IL spot. It's not like he's suspended. And what are we talking about here? We're talking about a guy who's at times been really, really good. Great, I'd say. At times, he's been disappointing. He's had some home run issues. But he started, th- he started mixing up his pitches a little bit in the second half. In his last 11 starts, he went 10-0 and with a two fifty one ERA, a 14% swinging strike rate. He was totally elite and he, that's what I have been hoping for for James Paxton. It, it has not happened over a full season,
2: but I here, feel like he really, could do it. Here's a really interesting one. Uh, who has more innings pitched in 2020, James Paxton or Julio Arias? Hmm. I would bet on Arias.
1: Who would you it's, who would you draft first?
2: Arias, Arias is going like 160th right now, which seems like decent value to me, but I think there's probably like 140, 150 innings ceiling for him.
1: Uh, You know, everybody's into Arias now, and and they should be. He's a winner from if the trades go through, uh, getting Maeda and Stripling out of there. And I've really kind of always liked him, like a lot. And uh, I had him on my team last year. He was good in a a roto league, just coming in for a few innings at a time. I don't know, though, that if you look at his track record that he's – the love is completely justified. Like, it's got to be a late round pick. I can't take him over James Paxton.
2: He's going to have to get better, I think. Like, one of the things is he does have, like, a low threes ERA for his career, and I think he was, like, two eight last year. Um, the ERA in- indicators and estimators aren't quite as as in love with Julio Urias, but he's also still, I think he's still 23. He's younger than AJ Puck, is the, the comp that I've gone with when I've written about him. And AJ Puck is someone we're hoping can turn into a major league starter this year. Um, He's been around forever. He's one of the, you know, at his, when he was 19, he was, or 18, he was one of the best pitching prospects of the decade. And he's had to overcome a lot of injuries to his shoulder since then. But his velocity was way up last year. There there were a lot of positive signs.
1: Yeah. And I'm sorry, Scott, I'll let you weigh in on Arias. The numbers are really good. It's just that he hasn't, he hasn't like gone deep into games. You know, some starts were just a few innings, if I recall. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the numbers are a little deceiving because he just hasn't done it. Where's a start? This is a three and two thirds inning start, you know, down Mm -hmm. the stretch. We're talking three innings, two innings. He was basically like an opener. So we just don't know with Arias.
3: Yeah. Like Chris said, the ERA estimators are kind of high. The XFIP and Sierra are both. Above four, which, you know, for the range he's going, you could certainly still live with. And it would suggest he's had good home run luck, but maybe it wasn't luck. I I don't know. I mean, he's certainly accomplished a lot for his age. And you certainly can. You don't have to look that hard to see the upside here in terms of him not pitching that deep into games. Well, it was obviously by design. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know to what extent the Dodgers are going to unleash him this year. I think their willingness to trade Maeda and Stripling while getting back just price says they're counting on him a lot. But they still have a rotation surplus, even without them. Yeah, they have Tony Gonsolin, they have Dustin May. Uh, so it still may not be a situation where he's treated like, like, you know, kershaw and bueller are going to be treated probably not going to be that it's, it's just won't. is it where between 120 and 150 innings does he wind up and what per start is he going to be allowed to do as opposed to having those phantom dl stints in the middle of the season as a way to curtail his innings
1: IL stints. scott uh jordan montgomery is in the yankees rotation would you draft him in a mixed league?
3: I remember liking him after his rookie season. I took a closer look, and I think I just know more now than I did then (laughs) Hmm. because I'm not seeing it now.
1: Okay. So the Reds signed Pedro Strope to a one-year, $1.8 million deal. Strope is coming off a bad year with the Cubs, but the previous five seasons he was incredibly consistent with an ERA under three and a solid whip all five years. So, Rysel Iglesias, you better get your act together. The Angels acquired Ross Stripling, so we did not know this when the news broke. Scott Stripling is enticing. He's he's done some really good things. What do you think about him on the Angels? So, just to be clear, that hasn't happened, right? right? That's
3: sorry, that's part of the okay. Oh, I th- he's probably the biggest winner of that the whole Betts Peterson saga if, if this does go through because. His ratios are, are wonderful. He, he was an all-star as a starter two years ago, and then they just decided he didn't need to start anymore because they have that rotation surplus, and he was in and out of the rotational last year, too. Even when he was in, they didn't let him go more than like three or four innings at a time. They just didn't need him to be the impact pitcher he shows the, the signs of being. And yet, you look at that first half from 2018, and you say, absolutely, he could be that. With the Angels, I think that's the opportunity he'll have. So he's, uh, I mean, he's somebody I moved ahead of, or moved Paxton behind as well. In a combination of moving Stripling up and Paxton down, Uh, I have him 57th in my starting pitcher rankings. Stripling and
2: and Stripling doesn't have to be first half of 2018 good. He's been good whenever he's gotten a chance. You know, he's got a a mid three zra right. First yeah uh, yeah yeah Very good. Pretty much every time he's gotten an opportunity. Right. Incredible strikeout
3: to walk ratio. I mean, it's not huge strikeout potential, but it's 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 not like that's a that's something he lacks. And then he's very good control. So he's he could be he could be an innings eater. I feel like he has the makeup to be. I I don't know if the Angels are going to let him be quite that right away. But if they let him be more like a five, six inning pitcher instead of a three, four inning pitcher. Yeah, it could it could go very well for him.
1: One thing I noticed about Stripling, though, is if you look at his numbers, first time through the order, second time, third time, his batting average against is not bad, but his ERA is pretty bad. So he gives up a lot of home... So far, he has given up home runs third time through the order. And I always wonder with a guy who's basically... His, his, his repertoire is based on his curveball. He's got a great curveball. He's not a hard thrower. If... That if he can be a little home run prone. So I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, if that will continue. It's just a theory. Don't think we have enough of a sample size to really know. But I did notice that in the numbers for Stripling. He, he's, he's going to a good park. He
3: is. To prevent home runs and a good division for preventing home runs. So that, uh, that should Ma- help.
1: how about Maeda or Stripling? Who would you draft first? Maeda. Okay. Both I'm excited. Eligible, right?
3: like, I think it's stock up for him, too, for many of the same reasons. Like The Twins just need him to be more of a traditional starter than the Dodgers did.
1: More notes. Not much. Let's see. I'm lost in my notes here. Sorry. More notes. The Dodgers signed Max Muncy to a three-year, $26 million deal. I don't think this is pending the bets trade. And the Astros are expected to sign Cuban outfielder Pedro León. Do you have anything to say about that, Scott White?
3: I would have to look into that more.
1: Okay. So I got a tweet from a listener, Lyndon Savanto, who said he road tripped to see every team in their home stadium. Was an incredible trip, thirty stadiums in two months. So no, I that's the dream. Is that cool or what? I would love to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only problem is you have to go to baseball games, which are boring as hell. But
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, I love going to new baseball. You'd rather go to a baseball game than a football game. Oh,
1: please, said nobody. Said no sober Absolutely. people.
2: Football no. games are horrible to watch live. What are you talking about? They're exciting. They're fun. They're loud. There's no good seats. You can't see anything. They're slow. There's not that much They're action. They're slow. You're defending a baseball game? There's There's five minutes of TV commercials for every 14 seconds of gameplay. Give me a baseball game every day. You're right. I, I
1: forgot. Baseball is known for its very rapid pace and lack of commercial <laughs> I mean, breaks.
2: look, you know, that's that's what you love about baseball.
1: <laughs> this is a fun, impromptu argument. I I like going to Yankees games, but not that many. Like, they are super boring. Um,
2: well, that's just because it's the Yankees.
1: But yeah, obviously a crappy team. Uh, but anyway, I asked him to rank his top five stadiums that he visited and Linden... Has not responded to me yet. So, Lyndon, if you're yeah. listening, <laughs> send an email. would be the best way to do it. FantasyBaseball at CBSI.com. I would love to know your favorite five stadiums. Or you can reply to the tweet, but I might not see it. So an I, email would be better.
2: I, I, I just, think I've only been to five. If your top five doesn't include PNC Park in Pittsburgh, you don't you don't know what you're talking D- don't about. Don't even write in then. If your top five doesn't include Oracle Park in San Francisco. I've never been, but PNC is unbelievable. Historical.
1: Oracle. Unbelievable. Yeah. I have been to so few stadiums. I've been to Marlins Park, Yankees, Mets. I don't even know if I've been to any other stadiums. I think I've been to like 12.
2: And PNC's far and away the best.
1: Okay. Uh, By the way, I was on a podcast last night with Ariel Cohen, who writes for Sportsline. I went on the TGFBI podcast. The episode should be out now or soon. And, I, you know, he asked me about some outfielders, and I developed a little bit of a crush on a late-round outfielder. This is not going to be the player I love, no way, because most likely scenario is it's not going to go well, and he could platoon. But I'm pretty interested in Nomar Mazzara, guys. I want to know what you think about him. I just feel like if he has a year where, oh, well, he started hitting fly balls, <laughs> then he could be good, you know? And if they tr- I've if heard they, that a few times. Yeah, it, but, but, this, but he's so, but he's so cheap now. Like everybody kinda liked Nomar Mazzara. Now nobody really wants him. So I'm thinking he's still a young player with uh yep. with obvious well well, with with uh not obvious upside, but with a case that is not that hard to make.
2: He, um go ahead. He also has a relatively high floor. That's what I like. Like I've never really been a Nomar Mazzara guy, he just hasn't shown the skills, but you know, a typical Nomar Mazzara season if you can get him in the 220 to 250 range would be a pretty good outcome. It wouldn't be a great outcome, especially in this environment, but you know, he's been you know, 20 to 23 homers, decent RBI and run numbers. He's in a decent, he's in a, what should be a pretty good lineup and a, and a great park. So, you know, he doesn't have to make the improvements anymore. This was, you know, he's being drafted top 150 last year and probably top 100 the year before. And he's, kind of dropped 50 to 70 spots every year as you know we've gotten further away from him being this big prospect but like he hit the furthest home run in baseball last year there is no doubting the talent that this guy has he just he needs to to tighten up his swing hit more balls in the air but i mean the the talent is obvious and if yeah. we think it is it's just
3: an adjustment situation that makes him a perfect change of scenery candidate. And I I think actually the White Sox expressed some optimism that they could get more out of him than the Rangers did without going into specifics. So it's something to watch. I mean, if he's he's a guy who has this monster spring, I think we're going to see... I don't even want that. He's going to get some serious draft helium.
1: I don't want that. I want him to have no draft helium because I want him to be my very (laughs) last pick in a deeper league or a $1 bid in an auction. I want nobody interested in Nomar Mazzara who, by the way, is still... 23 years old he'll be 24 years old in April he cannot hit lefties he could platoon with Adam Engel who did very well against lefties but I know there are problems there but I think you're not going to find much more potential um, with your last pick I suppose if he really is your last pick we'll see if other people kind of feel the same way Um, okay so we're not going to have time for Scott versus ADP I think that segment is never going to happen I'm sorry Scott let's do emails instead Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. But you know what? There was one Scott versus ADP that I think is, is a fun debate. If you want to get into it, we can do that very end of the show. We'll save okay. it. Our, our last topic will be JT Real Muto versus Gary Sanchez. Scott's got Sanchez, ADP has Real Muto. Emails. All right. Again, it's fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. We're going to skip the first one because it's from Tony in Indianapolis who had a question about Adalberto Mondesi, and we went over him. So let's go to the second one. It's from Nick near St. Louis. He says, Dear Hercules, Lady, and Dung. And then he says, The Beatles. That's think I don't get that. I mean, I know a dung beetle.
2: Hercules beetle is also... I think that's the one with like the giant horns or something.
1: Oh, those are actual beetles. Lady beetle? Okay. I don't know. On, on do show, On Wednesday's show, you took an email where you talked a bit about Tommy Edmund as a potential steel source. I'm a Cardinals fan. I love Tommy Edmund late last year. He helped me win a ton of fantasy playoffs. But he's getting a lot of helium right now. Word of the day. And I have two big concerns. One, his 2019 postseason performance. Small sample I know, but 183 batting average. OPS under 633 at-bats. The other issue for Edmund is playing time. MLB.com says he's starting at third base. Fangraph says he's starting in left field. But local media is reporting that Carpenter will start at third and O'Neal or a minor leaguer who breaks through in spring will get left field. I know Edmund can be a utility guy, but if he's only starting three or four days a week, he isn't close to worth what the price is. Um, your thoughts? Can Could this be a thing with Tommy Edmund with playing time?
2: I looked up what a Hercules beetle looks like. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. Oh, I'm, I did too. Oh, it looks like a bottle opener. Oh, oh my God. Okay, I got to oh, see this I now. I can't. What was the question? <laughs> Tommy Edmond's playing time. T-
1: to- Ew! like a crab. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is not something you want to see like crawling across your leg. That's for sure.
2: Oh uh, there, yeah, there's pictures of people with like them on their hands for like size references. <laughs> oh God. Uh, uh, <laughs> Edmunds and the possibility that he may not play every day. Um the best laid plans of mice and Edmonds oft go awry is what I would say there when. When you're talking about a guy who a team wants in the lineup can play in basically any spot and we're not sure they've got a role, those guys usually end up playing more than you think. He's better than Dexter
3: Fowler, he's better than yeah. Harrison Bader. Maybe not maybe Bader's defense puts him over, but uh he's better than Matt Carpenter at this point. He's better than Colton Wong. Yeah. I'm not I'm not worried about playing time either. And skills wise, well, the September power surge may have been a, a mirage. He definitely profiles for a good batting average with enough extra base power and certainly speed. He's very successful on the base paths, I think. I think you can almost pencil him in for 30 steals, which is obviously a big deal in today's environment.
1: Cool. All right, next email. By the way, a lady beetle is, is a, like a cute little bug. A dung beetle is disgusting, and a Hercules beetle <laughs> is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Oh, that's just a lady bug. I guess those are Beatles. Yeah, right. Look, certainly looks that I didn't know that. Good to know. All right. Sense. Dear AJ, Alex, and Carlos.
2: Uh, fired managers. Yes. Cheater.
1: <laughs> I agreed to not overreact to the cheating scandal for all players associated, but you talk about players with good plate discipline like Bogarts and Bregman. Should they be viewed as more risky because of their unfair advantage?
3: Um, I'm Bregman's always had. Incredible plate discipline, even going back to the minors. I I really don't think there's anything to worry about with him. Uh, Bogarts... I mean, the thing about all of this is we're talking about years ago.
2: Well, we don't know. It's, no. it's
3: possible something could have been going on last year still, but... Bogarts' no plate discipline,
1: though, started to get better late in 2018. 2018 is when the Red Sox were cheating. We'll get more details later this week, it seems, or next week. Mm-hmm. I. It's an interesting thought. Because, you know, the plate discipline angle, remember the Astros went from the highest strikeout team to the lowest strikeout team, right? Yeah. And now I think we know why. At least well, but partially. that was no, they,
0: the, but that, they had
3: the personnel in place for that.
2: Well, I don't I, think it was just because of that. Partially. The evidence suggests that that started midway through the 2017 season, I believe, and the changes had already started like this is the problem with this whole thing is what we know doesn't suggest that it made a big difference like there was the analysis that came out last week where someone went through and kind of charted who had the most bangs and who had the least and like Jose Altuve got none and he had you know in 2017 i think that was his mvp season so it's like we just we really don't know how much it benefited who it benefited whether it benefited on the road or at home like the strikeout rate wasn't noticeably lower on the road than at home in 2017 for the Astros. So, it's mm-hmm. it's just really hard to say. And uh, the you know, the lack of evidence doesn't mean that they didn't do it or that it didn't help, but it helped. You can only go on what you know. There's common
1: sense though. I mean, if you know what pitch is coming, it helps.
3: I, but, but I think it certainly
1: know. helped. I think it
3: certainly helped in like a seven-game series. It it may have it may have swung that series against the Dodgers.
1: No, oh, against the Yankees. But the Yankees were still gonna lose. The, the, the <laughs> Yankees won every home game, and the Astros it, won every right, home any game. Of, any that, of those you, playoff series should, that hope, went deep. Shut up, Chris. Whatever you just said, I don't even know. <laughs> but shut up. But uh, I
3: don't think when you're talking right. about a player's full season stat line, particularly when all the different splits don't really back it up. That, worried about Bogarts. Not for that reason. I I think there I think there's reason to believe maybe he overachieved just in a more traditional sense last year, but not anything to do with the cheating scandal. Okay. Exactly.
1: Math. That was from Matthew in Maryland. Here's a different Matthew. Gents, you all you all seem to always love trading two players to get the one better player. I'm trying to go the other way in a keeper league. I'm looking to trade Mike Trout. My plan was to agree to a trade before the draft where I keep Trout as one of my five keepers and have the other key team keep Trey Turner and Jose Altuve, and then swap the players immediately. Since you all love trading the other way, where do you fall on this plan, and how much do you need to get back in a one-for-two trade in order to make it worth it? Uh, and that would be trading Trout for Jose Altuve and Trey Turner. Would you do it?
3: I would. I mean, that's a, I, I do think that helps your 2020 chances, making that trade. But you know it's I'm a little worried about out two phase longevity. I'd wonder about what the other four keepers were because if you're you're limited to five every year, you obviously want them to be the best they could possibly be. I don't know i not gone cold about it. I, I can understand it. why you'd do it, but it wouldn't I, I can't say for sure that I would do it or not it would just depend on how the rest of my team looked, but I don't in theory, I don't love it. I think it's fine.
1: Chris, has Trey Turner lived up to his draft billing since, well, after his rookie year, you know, where he took the league by storm? Has he really been as good as where he gets drafted?
2: I would say 2018 is probably the only season when he's surpassed his draft value overall. Because that's the only season he's played more than 122 games. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Okie okay, dokie. Next questions from Travis in Colorado. Should I make this deal? 16 team, 16 team keep forever dynasty league. It's a points league with deeper deeper rosters and 14 minor league roster spots. Would you trade Joey Gallo and Geraldo Perdomo for Nelson Cruz and Kalenik?
2: Hmm.
3: Yes. Yeah, that's a big prospect difference there. And I'm, I'm drafting Gallo ahead of Cruz, so,
1: yeah. So which side would you rather have, Scott?
3: I would rather have... Oh, okay. Because <laughs> Cruz and Kalenic are on the same side. Okay. All right.
1: <sighs> which side would you rather have, Gallo and Perdomo or Cruz and Kalenic? I don't know Kalenic? why I have trouble with. Them. It's Sorry. always...
3: Um, i would rather have the Cruz side. I would rather have the Cruz side, too.
1: Yes. From yes. John, how early would you be comfortable drafting Shohei Otani in a daily lineup league where you can maximize his hitting and pitching contributions by designating him as a hitter or a pitcher every day?
3: Hi. Hi. Maybe so- as early as round four. And that he, might, he may still turn out to be a bargain there. We just don't really know when he's going to come back and pitch. But if you're. If you're always going to know the day of that you can get him in as a pitcher and he performs like the high-end pitcher we think he is, and then you get all of his hitting contributions in between and never have to start him on a day he's not playing, I mean, that's that's a game-changer.
2: What's really interesting to consider that I just thought about is um, you know, they've talked about possibly using Shohei Otani as a hitter on the days he's pitching as well. I would assume they'll still want to rest him the day before and the day after he pitches you could actually end up getting hurt by that in this format, right? Because you're not going to get both the hitting and pitching stats if he does hit when he pitches. Right. But, he but would, you
3: you funny. would get hurt by that in every format. Yeah. Uh, you you're going to get you're going to get hurt much less. You're going to get much closer to the full extent of his abilities without the and without any of the collateral damage in this format. I, I think there's a case to be made. Once Otani is fully proven as a pitcher and this Tommy John stuff is behind him, in a daily league, he might be the single most valuable player.
1: Yeah. So, would you take him or, let's say, Xander Bogarts in a daily league like this?
3: Bogarts. I, I I I think I I think I'd take Otani. Like I don't have specific daily league rankings and. I'm not going to start any anytime soon. I don't think it makes a huge difference for most players.
1: No, it doesn't.
3: But he's just such a unique case.
1: It, by the way, uh, if you Google image Hercules beetle larva.
2: Oh, d- come on. It's man. the most. It's <laughs> awful. Yeah, come on. It's just awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't need that in my life. <laughs> okay,
1: this is from Andres Jones. Hey, Trot, Richard, and Mojo. Nixon's. Nixon's. Ten-team head-to-head keeper league that favors caper nine and quality starts. We can keep three players for up to three years. Strasburg in the fourth round, last year of eligibility. Darvish in the seventh round, first year of eligibility. Paddock in the twenty-third year, twenty-third round, first year of eligibility. Remember, you can keep cool. them up for three years. Pick two of Stras- those three.
2: Strasburg and Paddock done. Let's move on. Okay, <laughs> is like
3: most animals, their offspring looks cuter <laughs> than the <laughs> adult version. Not
2: bugs. Insects we, are not what like that. doing. Like, are we? Like bugs aren't cute. They this, no, they're
1: not at all. Really they don't all. have
2: eyes. Eyes are, are. Eyes are what make things cute. <laughs>
1: That's <a> great point. <laughs>
2: I look. They I'm do just, have eyes. Their eyes are disgusting. They're, not, they're like weird eyes. They're like bugs.
1: <laughs> they're disgusting. These Hercules beetles. I hate them. So. <laughs> I don't have a name on this one. <laughs> Subject line is Bieber versus Sale versus Flaherty. I can keep two forever without giving up any draft picks. Uh, pick two uh, of those three, Bieber, Sale, Flaherty.
3: Got to be Bieber and Flaherty. They're, as, 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 as much as I like to act confident about Sale in 2020, there's got to be some questions about his longevity at this point.
2: Would it change your mind to know that I saw someone tweet a video of Chris Sale throwing today, but <gasps> I click or watch the video. Mm.
1: No, I th- well, yeah, that actually <laughs> changes my mind completely.
2: Beetle larva
3: is much more interesting than that.
1: You know what else is interesting? Gary Sanchez is ripped now. So let's talk about Sanchez versus Ray Amuto. And Ray Amuto has been the number one catcher two years in a row. I actually think he was number two in points leagues last year, but number one in Roto a top two catcher two years in a row Sanchez can't stay healthy Sanchez is selling it's, out for power Scott make the case Real Muto or Sanchez I and mean, if we're
3: talking about per game production which is usually how I like to evaluate players particularly ones that miss time due to injury it's really not close who's better like Sanchez's ceiling is definitely higher it's Oh, I, I'm surprised how big of a gap there is in ATP. I, I, it's not so much that Real Muto is going ahead of Sanchez. It's that he's going, uh, what is it, like 25 spots ahead of, or is that many? 17, 16 spots ahead of Sanchez. It's a big difference. Uh, yeah, no, it's more than 20. I'm sorry, I'm getting that's okay. details here. I'm calculating um, but, points per yeah, game while you speak. Yeah, per game, Sanchez clearly much better. I may be chickening out in a head-to-head context just because Rio Muto is one of those rare catchers who plays virtually every day. And particularly now that the Yankees have so many DH options, Stanton, Stanton's going to, to play it the most, I would assume, but Andujar and they have so many corner infielders that they can't fit in the lineup. I don't think Sanchez is going to get a lot of time there. So just from a playing time standpoint, I may go ahead and move Real Muto ahead. I think I've already done that, in fact. But in a categories league, when you you want impact production, Sanchez is going to hit a lot more home runs.
1: I, I don't know that the, that the points per game is as different as you think, though. First, oh, it is. Well, okay, I am only counting JT Real Muto points per game one season.
3: I think Real Muto's points per game last year were kind of underwhelming, as a matter of
1: fact. 3.04, Gary Sanchez was at 3.14. Um, the year before, Gary Sanchez was at 2.69, and he had a horrible season. His first two years, he was really awesome uh, in terms of points per game, especially his first year, but obviously he'll never be as that good again.
2: Uh, I, yeah, but Here's the thing about... Yeah,
3: that's, it's not as big of a gap as I, I, I was wrong. I sounded so confident too. It wasn't as big of a gap as I thought.
2: I believed you.
1: But I think it's so, interesting that Gary Sanchez hit 232 this year and still averaged more points per game than JT Realmuto. But there's a lot of ways you can look at this. I mean, the, the last three months of the season, Realmuto had an 898 OPS. And I remember he had been very underwhelming the first three months. He had a 750 OPS, but we kept saying on our show, the indicators look good. He's a buy-low candidate. He's going to turn it around. Then he has this torrid second half with an 898 OPS for Ray Almuto. And remember that number, 898, because this was his OPS in his last three seasons with the Marlins on the road. 893, 897, 870. I mean, you really could argue, I'm not going to say that this is the case, but you could argue that he's like an 890 OPS guy based on his road numbers with the Marlins and then he did it for the second half of last year. Um that's amazing. That's Sanchez could get up there too. But Sanchez is just such he's so annoying. It's just swings for the fences <laughs> all the time. He has I, no discipline. He gets hurt always so, I, I
3: I understand the argument that he's a frustrating player to own. Part of the reason too is okay. So he he already looks like he's better than Real Muto on a per game basis, and then it seems like he underperformed his peripherals too. On top of it, so I just think the upside is higher, definitely higher. It is, and I agree. I, I don't know. I Chris... I. I think where you at? Particularly at that position, I'd rather shoot for the stars because there are enough decent fallbacks
2: there now. Because even if you miss, you'll still land on the moon. Chris, who go. would you
1: take in 20 seconds? Real move towards Sanchez.
2: Gary Sanchez. That was less than
1: twenty seconds. Good job. Thanks to Chris and Scott. Great show. We learned a lot about nature today. <laughs> Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Probably Monday night on Fantasy Baseball today. See you later.
0: Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we'd go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.